Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad. Abarik wa sallam. Can you all move forward? Inshallah. We'll have um, uh, those who want to do, Inshallah, can obviously do the individual ibadah in Qiyam. We can uh, do it so in the lobby. Uh, the speakers will be turned off there. And then, Inshallah, we can, uh, those who are participating in tonight's program, you, I ask you to please kindly move forward. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi alladhina astafa ma'abad. So the topic for tonight is how to maintain an, uh, our Islamic identity on campus when you're in college, when you're, you know, this is a part of education that you, that's very important for a lot of people to go to. So the way I kind of see it, there's two main aspects to the problem of, uh, of maintaining your Muslim identity. The first is the kind of the intellectual aspect where a lot of the content that you're learning um, is based on like a non-Islamic worldview. And because of that, it's very easy to start if you're you know, constantly being taught that, to question your Islamic beliefs. So that's one part of it. And the second part is the social aspect, where you're surrounded by people who, if they're Muslim, then they might not be the most uh, practicing Muslims. And if they're not Muslims, then you know, they're very, they, the way they live is very different than, than our lifestyle. So how do we navigate that? So I think the first question I have for, for you is, um, if we, you know, if we're being taught all these things in college, how do we, you know, it's not, there's some classes that we're forced to take. So how do we, you know, take those classes but also maintain, you know, our beliefs? Oh, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself first, inshallah, so the audience is aware, your little bit of background, inshallah, your educational background, where you're from, etc. inshallah, that'll be, help people understand your perspective on these questions as well. So, um, uh, my name is Saad Hussain. I studied here at Dar Salaam and I was actually the, the part of the first one-year class back in 2012-2013. And I finished the Alam course here in 2019 and right after that I, I started at DePaul University where I'm currently studying. And because of that, you know, that's why I have like a perspective on how to, you know, what the type of issues you can face in the university and how to, how to navigate those issues. MashaAllah. So he's completed his high school over here. He's completed his full alim program, seven-year alim program, and now he's at Deep Hall and we're doing pre-med. Inshallah. Uh, so, um, so that'll be nice. You can, you, uh, the crowd can uh, also ask him a lot of questions as well. We can switch off these extra lights on the sides. And all those youth here, mashallah, young brothers, if you're going to lean against the wall now, what's going to happen 50 years from now? Come, come, come close. You guys are all so young people leaning against the wall. Come, move close forward. Come forward. If you want to sit outside and do ibadah, you can do so. But if you're sitting in a gathering, then don't sit in the back. <clears throat> okay, so, one of the... Um, well, the question is how we in learning in, in college when we, we, we attend different classes. One is the environment, the social environment, protecting our, our, our gaze and things. That's one thing. Number two is just protecting our mind. So it's like the battle of the, the hearts and minds when you go at university. Battle of the hearts and minds. So you have the heart is being polluted with sin and the mind is also being attacked to think in a certain manner. 
And as long as you, I mean, there's so many things to say, but first of all, you have to realize it's actually a battlefield. Education is a huge thing. When you're sitting through a class, uh, day after day, period after period, whole day, what's happening? You're actually giving your mind, soul to someone else to say, fill it up. You're giving a jug, giving a cup to someone and saying, pour in it. And who are we giving it to? We're giving it to obviously people who are not believers, we're disbelievers, we're atheists. Um, many times secularist and anything that is even legit halal good many times unfortunately they teach it from a very skewed un-Islamic perspective so going in you need to know what you're dealing with we can't be we can't regard them you know everything is all innocent it's fine it's just education you know that's all I'm doing I'm not doing anything haram I'm just doing education no uh, it's the idea is that could be actually more harmful than actually doing one sin a person commits a sin, repents, feels bad, moves on. But when a person is so-called brainwashed in a certain manner, then that's, that one wrong idea that's imprint, imprinted in their mind will lead to possibly so many other major issues in their life of aqidah, of belief. That would be, have a much more devastating effect, say, than one sin. So I think the first point is whenever we go to school, high school, college, etc., we need to be alert. That every single class has a potential to completely derail me from uh, where, I've, where I'm supposed to be at. But I have to go through that to get a job. So now I'm going to go through that being super careful as though I'm walking through a patch of thorns. You have to cross, you have to walk through it, but you're not going to close your eyes and just run through it. Instead, you're going to be very careful where you place your feet. So this is exactly what we have to do, is that... Uh, every single class, first of all, ch from choosing your major. Then from each major, choosing all the classes that you have to do, that your electives. Then from which each class that you want to make sure which professor you're taking. You want to do as much research as possible, just like you're supposed to make research when you're going to study your ilm. You're not supposed to just see whoever's holding the mic and go listen. You're not supposed to just go to any YouTube channel and start listening. It can destroy your deen. <clears throat> so similarly, when it comes to our other studies, Especially the liberal arts. Actually, I can't even say just liberal arts. <coughs> even the sciences, everyone. There's some out of the hardcore atheists who just who hate religion. And every opportunity they get, they'll take a jab at deen. They'll take a jab at faith in the unseen. They'll take a jab at the concept of divinity and God. And you'll find that in the reviews. Those are the people we shouldn't we should avoid at all cost. Because even if uh, naturally, inshallah, you say, oh, I'm not going to believe in that stuff. But, you know, the vulma and the darkness of listening to this type of trash for five months in a row, three days a week, two days a week, it's crazy. Even sitting with such people for one day, one hour is, is bad enough. But to put ourselves through that of listening to their extremely misled perspective on, on issues is going to have a very uh, bad effect on our heart. So choose your major wisely, choose your classes wisely, choose your professors wisely. And it's not about, how, what's our, what do they call that? Uh, the hotness rating, right? On the great man professors. It's not about just on how easy someone is or how charismatic it is. It's about on these issues, what perspective there is. I remember when the one year program started, your class, his class, I gave him a sheet of paper the first day of class and I asked them, <clears throat> why is it that you're here? What brought you to the one year program? And I remember one student said, I was in college, first year of college, I think so he said. And he said the teacher went on a rant attacking 
um, Islam. The Prophet ﷺ, his marriage to Aisha radiallahu anha and few other things. And he said, I was, in, I was fuming inside. I was so angry. Uh, but I was not only angry at the fact that he's saying this about my deen, I was more angry and more sad that I didn't know how to answer and defend and respond. So he said, I was so flustered. I walked out of class and went in, went in the hallway to the end of the hallway and sat under a staircase and cried. That this is, I'm sitting in class listening to this trash, I don't have an answer. So he said, that's why I'm sitting in class here. I joined this one year program to learn the deen. SubhanAllah. How many other youth, SubhanAllah, don't have that level of yaqeen and iman and love for Allah and Rasul that they can just walk out and go in the corner and sit and cry? And how many of our youth are being exposed to this every single day, morning and evening? It takes time, but after one, two months, one, two semesters, or one, two years, they actually change. And now it's about, hey, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Don't be judgmental. And all these other type of statements that people say. So that's why we're dealing with fire. It's not a joke. When everyone says, oh brother, he's just going to college. Isn't that, there's no such thing, he's just going to college. Soon as you go, as soon as you read a book, go read an article online, watch a video, or beyond that, sit, go through a four to six to eight year program at a university, you're offering your heart and mind to someone else, to a whole system. And you're telling them, put stuff in there. So if you're not very careful, very uh, you know, unexpected horrible things most definitely can happen. And I think um, another, uh, another part of this, part of this equation is the fact that we're in an era where everyone like preaches tolerance. They expect you to be very accommodating of others and their beliefs. And when, if it's this era, you know, if we live in this era as Muslims, you know, we get, we constantly get this like, this idea, you know, thrown at us. So how do we take that and then still maintain our, you know, our, maintain our principles and our beliefs in this era of, of tolerance and acceptance? What is the definition of tolerance? That's the whole issue. Tolerance is that, am I, um, uh, you know, am I going to physically attack someone, choke someone, stab someone because they have a view different than mine? No one is advocating that. So when we, just, when we sit with people in different uh, classrooms or different places and uh, we simply say, this is, I, I firm, this, is, this is my belief system which is different from yours, how is that intolerance? That's not intolerance. If a person wants to say, from my perspective you are wrong, that's completely fine. You, you have definitely the right to come say that about me as well. And, uh, you know, if you say you believe in, you know, they say, oh, how do Muslims believe that uh, only Muslims can go to paradise? Well, I said, well, that's what Christians are supposed to believe too. If you didn't die, if you don't believe Jesus died on the cross, alayhi salam, then you're not, you're not going to get salvation. That's how you're supposed to. That's how the original one was. And the Jews are going to believe the same thing. That's what the Quran says. The Jews say the Christians are nothing. They have no basis for their faith. And they, the Christians say they who have nothing. So this type of what we call salvific, you know, exclusivity, where salvation is based exclusively to my faith, this is many religions hold that, and we're not going to call that intolerance. We say that's that's great, good for you. You believe in this system, and you are adamantly on it, and you are giving dawah towards it. That's how you should have, because uh, if you don't think. If you don't think that's the right way, or the, why are you even following in the first place? You should be passionate about it. You should be passionate about your faith. And uh, because, you are, because you believe in what you're doing is right, naturally, you're going to feel inclined to invite other people towards it, which is fine. 
But uh, in, this in this country where we are, if you want to invite towards your stuff, you believe, it's fine. So tolerance, when we say this is my belief as Islam and I feel this is the way to lead a proper life and this is the pathway to Jannah and you're giving da'wah to people to say other pathways are incorrect, that does not become intolerance. We're not asking or advocating people to get physically abusive or emotionally or, or you know, with their words, you know, hurl insults at people. Uh, but we should have a right to simply say that from our perspective, this is haq and this is batil. This is our perspective. You can agree or you can agree to disagree. So this aspect of you know, tolerance is just taken out of context here. Um, and it's, mm, our own people uh, are saying that when you say something is wrong, we're not being intolerant of it. That's what we have to teach our children and ourselves. Um, you know, you, what, what is the reason for you to even have a faith then? What is the reason for you to even study a faith and have a book and a Quran and hadith and scholarship, all that? If you say all paths lead to God, whether, then what's, why, why are we sitting here at 2 a.m., 1 a.m.? Like for what? If everything is, if we just be to, tolerant means you can do whatever you want, whether you pray or not, you fast or not, you go to the masjid or not, you worship Allah or you worship something else, as long as you smile, and uh, shake hands with people and say thank you and I'm sorry to get to paradise then like, why are we sitting here wasting our time like this is pointless the amount of sacrifice fasting and prayer and giving alms and sadaqah all of this stuff what's the point of it if everyone's going to go to paradise anyway so our, our generation seems to be like the first generation or not my generation the one after this seems to be the first one who starts thinking that when we say this is right this is wrong all of a sudden we're becoming intolerant and uh, that is something that is incorrect and misrepresentation of our, of our faith. Uh, we are going to try to present our faith properly. And if people who are uh, doing something that we feel is wrong, with wisdom and hikmah, we will try to guide them. And if they choose not to listen, then we move on. And uh, just to add to that, like from my experience, what I've seen in university is that even though they claim to be very tolerant, it's only like a surface level tolerance. Um, you're expected to, you know, they say, they think that, you know, it's nice that you have your, your religion and that's good and, and, and nice and everything. But as soon as, like, it challenges anything else or as soon as, like, you get past a certain point, then you, should, then you shouldn't believe it anymore or you should kind of disregard it. And uh, one example I'll give is one time I was in an anthropology class a couple years ago and the professor was talking about culture, culture and religion. And he said, he asked this class, he said, how many of you believe in God? Hmm. And a lot of people raised their hands. And then the next question he asked was, how many of you, of you believe in the devil? And he said it in a very condescending way. And in a very kind of like, how many of you actually believe this? Hmm. A lot of people, you know, the people who raise their hand, many of them hesitate to, hesitate to raise their hand a second time. The ones who believed in God. Yeah. Hmm. And then um, until one student just said, you know, if I believe in God, why wouldn't I believe in the devil? So he kind of explained it very clearly. But th that's the point being that like, you know, you can believe to a certain extent or like, yeah, it's fine to, to have your religion to a certain extent, but if it, if it, you know, questions science or goes against science or goes against anything else, then you should, that's your own thing and you shouldn't bring it up here. So even what I've seen over there is that there isn't like full tolerance at university. It's only like tolerance to some extent. So like they're claiming tolerance, but they're not tolerant themselves. No, now I think the, 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 the classroom environment has become, slowly become actually straight up intolerant to belief in the unseen. I mean, like, I've had students come up to me and say, sometimes a professor from the first day of class says, the premise of this class is God does not exist. Anyone who holds another belief will have to, ch will have to challenge me. <laughs> this is the first day of class, right? So um, I'm, I've shared a story before here of, of, of like five, six years ago, we had an open house 
and uh, there was a non-Muslim teacher from Willowbrook, I think, high school or uh, yeah, near Downer Grove, uh, and he and uh, he brought his students here. Oh, he came himself for the interfaith, and he really liked it. And on the way out, he told me, you know, I want to bring my class, world religions class, here every semester. And I said, okay. And then he were, I said, do you have any Muslims in your school? He said, I do. That's a problem. We have Muslims in our class. But when it comes to Islam, chapter on Islam, and I want Muslims to speak themselves and represent their faith, they're not willing to come and stand up and speak. They're just simply, they don't want to talk about their faith. They were hiding their faith or they just don't feel comfortable, confident enough to speak out their faith. So that's why, I, you know, what can I do? When they don't speak up, at least I have to bring them over here. Maybe you can explain your faith. Then he said, the sad part is even Christians, practicing Sunday school going Christians, dare not ever expose, expose themselves as Sunday school going Christians in, in the public school because they will be made fun of by all the other classmates. So he said, we have a few practicing Christians, but they are also undercover Christians. Like they, they don't feel comfortable speaking about it in this, in this type of environment. Um, and then he said, I have some students come to me saying, we're confused about Trinity. And I tell them, go, go check out Islam. And I was like, really? That's what you tell them? And he said, yeah, I go tell them, go check out Islam. Because I would rather they have their value system from any faith rather than getting it from a government. All right? So, mashallah, powerful words of his. But I feel like this is how, that was six, seven years ago. I think definitely this is more and more so, this is where we're going, is that intelligent design, for example, is like a mockery, right? They make a mockery of it. It's like, how dare you? I cannot believe we're in 2023. It's like people, like the, some of the Desi Muslims or whoever say, brother, you know, this is, one person told me he was praying Salah, uh, I think in an airplane or something like that. And a guy next to him said, Right? He said, we're, this, we're in the era of the airplane. We're going to fly. And you're still praying namaz. You're praying salah. Like, like, what the heck does that have to do with that? You probably heard, you know, you've already reached the moon. We already reached the moon. And you're still following the sunnah. You're still holding on to a tasbih. You're still doing your miswak. Like, come on, man, we got, the, we, we got a Mars rover. And how could you even be... What is that supposed to mean? What is that sentence? What does A have to do with B? Makes no sense. So these are the same people who are saying, we're in 2023, in America, we have artificial intelligence, we've got all this going on. How can you possibly still believe in, artific uh, in intelligent design? And we really, the environment at schools has become very inhospitable for people who believe in the unseen. And uh, so we're becoming a minority. Yeah. Do you think that it's, it's better for, to be in an environment that's openly antagonistic so you know that like, they're not, you know, you have to combat it? Or an environment that's like seemingly uh, hospitable to you, but like underneath the surface is actually like against you as well? Good question. This is like public school versus Islamic school. You know? <laughs> right? What do you guys think? So one place is clearly, openly, uh, not, is, not, is hostile, and the other place is superficially, um, uh, you know, accommodating, but internally they got a lot of issues. So um, it just depends on the person. There's some people, they're so fragile, if you, throw them into a, uh, if you throw them into, say, a public school or in a very clearly hostile environment towards faith, they'll, they'll just fall. And by tomorrow, they'll just, you know, if they could white out their brownness, they'd do that too. You know, besides that, everything else is, is like inside, they just, they cave in. And there are other people who, when put under pressure, they respond. So a lot of Muslims in Pakistan, India, Saudi, this, that, Syria, Lebanon, in Muslim countries, Tons of them don't practice at all. Those same people came to America and they were challenged. And all of a sudden, when they saw the lack of Islam over here, it encouraged them, it forced them to learn the deen, right? Most huge chunk of, of our parents are like that. 
But then there, unfortunately there are many others who came from those countries. Some of them were practicing, some of them were not. But when they came here, they're like done. We're in America, do as Americans do, khalas, leave the deen completely. So I, I, don't, I don't think there's one correct answer. You have to look at each student. And that's why even Islamic school, public school debate is a, is a big one. More, more than likely, yes, Islamic school way better than public school. But then some people, they don't thrive in Islamic school. They get worse. So I'm, I'm slowly going forward towards, uh, you, know, some, you know, we got to do, I'm going to tell you, you know, I feel like we have to do what's right even if it's, uh, if it's hard, if it's difficult. So um, that's why homeschooling, going back to the good old small homeschooling or co-ops where you have four or five families together, like-minded people, having the children educated together, in my opinion, that's the safest bet. You have gyms outside, you've got workout places, you've got mashallah, Dar salams, all these other facilities here with your sons and daughters. You know, girls can together come and play, the boys can play. You can have a social network, come to the masjid, attend all these programs. But then the education, I feel right now, is just getting so bad everywhere. In the Islamic school, in the, Muslim, in the public school, of course, the environment as well as the material is horrible. In Islamic schools, maybe the material is good, uh, meaning it's, it's not filled with, as of yet, the whole progressive agenda. However, the, 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 the kids, are crazy. So it's, it's, I mean, it's not the Islamic school kids are crazy. It's just the Ummah has gone crazy. The, 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 the haya and modesty is just going out the door. The amount of drugs and vaping, e-cigarettes, all that stuff that has become common within the uh, school system of, or within just school going kids is that it's such, it's so different from where it was in the 90s. I mean, really, if someone had a cigarette pack, it was like, whoa, my God. How'd you get that? The beepers. Remember those good pagers? They had pagers. And remember that pagers with the chain? That was like the coolest gangster thing you could get. Is a pager. <laughs> I mean, it was innocent. Right? Thinking about where we at now. Where we at now? People is just hoping that no one comes in with the AR-15, man. That's what. That's what we're headed. So uh, the idea is, I think, like me and Islamic school, public school debate plus public university debate. Where should you go? Where you should not go? It all depends on the specific student. It does not even depend on the family. Sometimes you have three, four siblings from the same home, and they're all different. Some can handle it, some can't handle it. Yes. You, um, you mentioned how uh, just like 10, 15 years ago, things were so different, and then it's gone so far now, like it's changed so much. I think one, one, very, um, uh, one example of that is how you know, the relationship between, uh, between brothers and sisters, like, uh, like between like, Muslim brothers and sisters, where it's funny, I was talking to my, my older brother a couple, of, a couple of months ago, and he was saying how, like, back in, like, just 10 years ago, when he, was, when he was, like, my age, if you wanted to, you know, impress girls, what you would do was, you would, before Eid, you would get a really, like, nice haircut, get, like, a nice thobe, and then go to Eid Salah, and then, like, walk out the hall so that all the girls can see you, and then they'll ask, you know, you know who's that guy or something. And I was, you know, I was... You know, I was laughing at it, but also I thought like nowadays people just go up to each other, even, yeah. even in the even in the masjid. It's like very the the way the dynamics work now is like you can just openly go talk to people. Back like when my older siblings were in college, like only the kind of out there people, the nuclear people, were, would they would uh, <laughs> they would go to you know openly be friends with like you know the opposite gender. But nowadays it's, it's like the norm to be that, and it's, it's crazy to see how much has changed. It's so true, very, very, very true, brother. Over there in school, I remember when I was going to school too. You just hear it. Oh, he has, she has a crush on him. He has a crush on him. This is what you used to hear, and you would never, of course, see anything. You just hear about it. At most, maybe in the hallways, maybe you see. Oh, is he, they were just. Do you see how they're gazing at each other? The news. That's about it. And we, that time we thought astaghfirullah is bad. And you're right. And it's not even the guy or the girl. The girls will just go up to the guy. 
Our girls will go up right up to the guy and say, hey, what's up? I mean, I'm seeing when I'm speaking a few times go to university right now. And boy, it's just like, you, this is what? I talked about this the other day. The ulama have said, in, in the po- haya is necessary both in men and women. But when haya is more beautiful when found in women, and when haya leaves a lady, it's far more worse than it, when it leaves a man. It's just so unsettling to see a lady or a young girl who have no haya. It's just so unsettling, so unnerving. Rather, you know, a boy not having haya, going up and saying, hey, I want to take you out, is bad. But when a girl does that to a boy, that's just... You know, is the state of the affairs much, much worse, and that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing definitely that the there's there is no. I mean, president and vice president are 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 going out. I've I've had guy boys come up to me and say, "What am I supposed to do? We go in the in the you know president of the MSA and the vice president or president, male and female, are well known you know uh, friends more than friends, and the PDA happening in school. You're right." And you're what? You're president of a Muslim student association. What you do between you and Allah, who told you run for election and become a president of an of MSA? For what? I, may Allah guide you, but who told you that you want to you follow all your shahwat and lustful desires and then take on the role as a so what's the issue? Because MSAs are gonna be a part of our discussion today too. Because there's unfortunately the sincerity. I mean, you cannot you cannot tell me that someone runs for election and gets votes and is, is in president, vice president of a student council, be it in uh, high school or college, and then does this type of ridiculous stuff. And that you're telling me you're running, the, you're running for MSA for Allah. How is that possible? I'm not going to buy that. What is it for? It's mostly for resume bolstering. Right? They want to add to their resume. It, it's good for, it looks good for college or it looks good for graduate school. That mashallah, you know, it's crazy how insincerity has come everywhere, man. It's so hard to find sincere people. So you think, oh, mashallah, people, fathers and mothers are so proud. Oh, my daughter is running the MSA. Yeah, but look at how she's running it. Look at her hayat, or my son is running it. Look what they're doing. This all part of a you know, uh, gamut of, of, of getting references and getting things on your, bolstering on your, on your what? On your resume to get into other places. Because if someone truly did it for Allah Azza wa Jal, they would have some sense of hayat, some, some sense of deen. Another thing I noticed that previously, People, you know, even if they didn't practice deen, they would, conf- they would conform to the environment, the culture. So your example, a person, you know, uh, let's say in India, Pakistan, before our elders, who, fathers and mothers who are, who are listening, they know this for, for sure. But someone is not wearing a kufi, has on head uncovered. People are wearing shirt, pant, note, coat, topi. When they go to the masjid, you conform to the culture of the masjid. And what do you do? You wear a topi. There's topis lying there, you pick it up and wear it. That's just how it is. Right? So, and they would have a basket in the back and they wear the topi. Y'all remember those baskets? Yeah? And they would wear it because you'd conform to the culture. In South Africa, not only do they have topis, but they actually have thobes, like these Turkish overall uh, coats. So anyone who's coming with tight jeans and, sh- and sleeveless shirts, you'll never see anyone praying like that. Salah. Everyone. There's a whole line of jackets hanging there. You come, grab a topi, and you wear, that, you wear the jacket on top so that when you go to sajda and rukur, there's no, you know, bad scenes happening there. And uh, what you call it, your satar is covered properly. That's why they have it. Till today. So what is it? There's a masjid culture is different. I'm, whatever I do outside, but when I come to the mosque, you know, they say dress your best for Sunday, right? Sunday. I remember the, uh, the guard, the security guard at Madrasa Darlum Zakaria. He was a Zulu. African uh, person. So, uh, Sunday, any poor guy, man, you know, they get paid very less. He's, he, he stands there with his stick outside. But we remember on Sunday, we would see him 
literally this guy who was probably earning maybe $100, $200 a month, but on Sunday he would bring out a nice, a nice for him, quality-wise probably very cheap, but still, a suit, a tie, a nice beautiful cap, and a briefcase. Hey, Stanford, where are you going? He's like, we're going to church. Because we're Christian, right? So you go to church. That's what I mean. It was the idea that when you go to church, you have to dress appropriately. So that was found in Christians and Muslims and everyone else. That when you go to the masjid, there is an etiquette over there. And this is the verse from the Quran. Ya bani Adam, kulli masjid. O children of Adam, beautify yourself before you go to the masjid. Beautify yourself before you pray. Masjid, yani masjid means prayer of place, place of prayer or salah itself. So we had that idea that when you go to the masjid, you have to dress appropriately. Sisters coming to a musalla, coming to a masjid, whatever, regardless of how they dress, when they come to the masjid, like how they do usually, used to do at least for umrah, put on a jilbab, put on a scarf, cover up properly before they come. Now, it's all changed. It's all part of the don't judge me culture. Don't judge me culture. <clears throat> right? They say don't, don't, don't play God. You can't play God. You can't judge me. Okay, but I can't play God by damning you to hell. But I cannot also play God by saying, God doesn't care. You can do whatever you want. You're going to go to paradise. How are we choosing? Like you say, don't, you can't play the role of God by judging me to, that you're going to hell. No one should be, by the way. That's true. You can't do that. But you also cannot play by God by saying, you can do whatever you want. You're forgiven. I, I, Alhamdulillah, gave me the ijazah. Permission on his behalf. You're going to Jannah. Don't, have, don't worry how you dress, who you talk to, when you talk to, what you do. You are forgiven. For you, every night is Laylatul Qadr. Right? You can't stay like that. So we, are, we have people who have created this culture of permissiveness. Totally. Everything is, everything is allowed. So what we're seeing now, the culture, and it's important to talk, for us to talk about it because brothers, what's happening, sisters, and family members are listening, that if you don't talk about these things, what happens? You slowly start getting accustomed to it, desynthesized to it. Right? You get desynthesized to it. And then you don't, you don't think it's a problem. You don't think it's a problem. So we're seeing now more events where men and women, Islamic events, where not only are they not covering them up properly, a sister will not, I went to a place where the president was a female of the MSA, it's the largest MSA event of the year, huge, and she's up there, you know, introducing the event, huge event. Okay, this, you're a president, and now you're at the largest event of the year, for God's sake, wear a scarf. Why would you run for president and then preside over this huge conference without wearing a scarf? If you don't want to do it, it's my choice. Okay, you know what? It's my choice that you shouldn't be a president. Like, why are you, who have nothing to do with the deen, standing up over here? No, don't judge. No, of course. That's fard, man. That's fard. This is a Muslim student council. If you are, have weakness in your faith, maybe Allah knows you and Allah forgive you. But who told you to take up the role of an imam? That's the point. If a person says, I have a weakness, I don't know Surah Fatiha. Okay. But why would you put a guy who doesn't know how to read Surah Fatiha to lead Taraweeh? No brother, you, you got a cute face, just lead. But he, I don't know Surah Fatiha. But okay, that's two separate... Yani, we should lead, give someone leadership who's got knowledge, who's got taqwa, and that's what it is. Just like an imam over here, if you see him doing something that is inappropriate, hopefully the community will have sense to remove him. So these offices are not just for resume bolstering. These are responsibilities of serving the needs of Muslims, spiritual needs of Muslims on campus. And so that's why it's so important that we have the right people. I just read uh, an amazing uh, yesterday on the history of, of, of the formation of Darul Ulum. And one thing was mentioned that Moran Rashid Ahmad Gungohi, when he was you know, the teacher of, teacher of teachers, 
that when the Darlum Dioband was being formed, the people of Dioband, the town, Dioband is the name of a town, they wanted to be part of the shura. They wanted to be part of the governing board of the madrasa. And they were putting a lot of pressure. You're opening up a school here, we want to be part of the board. Mawlana Rashid Ahmad Gongi said, no. So then some of the other students and senior ulama said, Shaykh, you know what, they're making a big fuss. They're making a lot of noise. Why don't we just let them in? What's a big deal? As it is, we're the majority. If the villagers are few, they'll be happy. But at the end of the day, major decisions we'll be making. You guys understood? How many times this happens that you, we end there, it's like, oh, come on, just let, let's make the people happy, just get them on board. Manarshid Ahmad Gongo, he said, Rahmatullah, he said, no. Why no? Because I want to run the show? He said, no. He said, this is khiana. This is, mis- this is sinful. Sinful to give a position of a shura to someone who is not worthy of that position. It's sinful. He said, if I'm going to do the sin, I would rather not have a madrasa. I would rather close this down, not have a madrasa, than have people who don't deserve this leadership to be in this position, because I'm going to get asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That how did you allow someone who is not worthy of a position of being a shura member of a madrasa to be in that position? Because you allowed him. Ajib, look at the ikhlas over here. It's not about me, my, myself, and my show. It's about this is an amana, and I can't let someone else go there. And this goes kind of like a, uh, you know, the whole idea of leading the salah with, with a shortened beard issue. That, uh, that's why they, you know, uh, the ulama would say that if someone, if an imam is there, he needs to be leading. But if someone else leads who has got a, a trimmed beard, for example, and that happens on his own, then the imam is not sinful. But if as an, as an imam, we should never appoint someone. In the Hanafi school, it's very strict. A person should not appoint someone who's got a trimmed beard, and naturally someone who doesn't have a beard, for leadership. Otherwise, the one who appoints him is going to get the sin for that. So there they were, they were times when, you know, previously, when, not in this masjid obviously, but other places where, you know, I'd be traveling, but then I'm like, oh, appoint someone. I'm like, who am I going to appoint? <laughs> you all figure out yourself, man. I'm not going to appoint someone because there's no one there worthy of being appointed. So then you just quietly just go away and you say, you all figure it out yourself. What am I supposed to do? There isn't anyone in the, musall- in the musallis who's worthy of being appointed as an imam. And I'm not going to appoint someone and then take the sin for that. So this goes back to the culture that we have unfortunately enabled, is enabled this fitna in universities and high schools, is that position of leadership is now not regarded as a deeny position. We have to change that. It should be the people of the most taqwa, the people who care about the faith, the people who want to establish sunnah, should be the ones in those positions. And so when Trump won, for example, and Muslims are getting very worried, oh my God, how Trump won and this and that. You know, I know we have more, now we have Muslims who support Trump too. Uh, and whatever, I'm not getting into that debate. I'm just focusing on one thing here. The aspect of people are getting very upset, like uh, very worried, scared, how, what's going to happen to country under Trump with all the rhetoric he had and all these horrible things. How did he, how did, you know, what is he going to do? And I'm like, okay, listen, brother, forget about Trump. Why don't you look at the country, where the country is? Trump is one guy. How in the world did the country, our country, vote this guy in? He didn't just come in from the heavens. He didn't just drop down from the sky. He was voted in by popular vote. Half of the population or more is voting for him. That tells you where this country has gone in terms of allowing people who have such uh, sometimes you know, a vile rhetoric and very, uh, very you know, uh, uh, tough, harsh uh, words that could definitely incite people towards violence is allowed to rule. That tells you the condition of what? The country. So similarly, when we have people in leadership positions, um, the issue is not going back to the person who's in leadership. It's about how did they get voted in. Right? So now the question naturally will be, should we work with student councils or not? I mean, if you can bring a change, 100%, do it. You should. All of you brothers here, you should. 
Right? When we go to these universities and we see sisters who are improperly dressed leading the university, like, where is your manliness, man? Where are you all, like, what are you all doing? This makes me so angry at the men who see you sit in the back, you know? That's why I don't like youth sitting in the back in the masjid too. Because, like, you're man, you should sit in front. If 18 years old, you're leaning against the wall, there's something really wrong with you. Sit in front, sit right in front, take notes and listen, be a man. That's what you're expected. But every program you go, you see all the sisters sitting there taking, they're typing away, and the guys are sitting there giggling on their, playing on their video games, phones. So this is the thing, men have lost their manliness, youth have, have lost their youthfulness. They don't understand that you're supposed to be the leader. And so naturally, when you have a void space, someone else is going to take over. So if you have any ilm, your have, look, Chicago is populated with tons and tons of hafaz. What are they doing? Right? It makes me so upset. Even the graduates of our one-year program. What was the purpose? If you're studying one year, if you're just going to go sit and just and, and, you know, uh, melt away in the rest. People say, no, I don't want to change the status quo. No, you have to. Wear on your t-shirt. I'm a Dawah Islam graduate. Alhamdulillah, I studied. You know, with the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tafsir, hadith, Quran, and aqeedah. You go take a position. When there's no one else for a leadership position, you need to present yourself. I have sisters calling me for khutbah coordination. Can you send a khatib? Where's your ghayrat, man? Why is a sister calling me to, for, to, to organize a Jummah khutbah? For what? She is not even fard upon her. But she's doing it because the foolish boys are just sitting there thinking about girls while girls are doing the work. Really. We have lost our position and power in society. And it's a shameful, shameful state of affairs. So the, the, this is what's going to happen. We, if we want to bring change in university, it's overnight can happen. As long as you have 15, 20 brothers say, oh, khalas, I'm done. I have spent hours talking. What makes me upset? Because I sit the guys. I sit, I speak with them. I've, I'm not a hired consultant, but I care for these universities. I sit there, I give them a full game plan of how to do things. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Assalamu alaikum. And then I, of course, you know, then I never see them again after that. They don't invite me again and, and the end of the story. When I will literally give them a manual of how to change things. You want funding? I'll provide. I'll get it. I'll, funding, is, funding is the last thing. Kam chaye kam. You need to work. It's not about money. You need to work. You need to care about the deen. You need to care about the thousands of Muslims who are becoming murtad in university. I can't do that. I'm an outsider. I'm never going to have access to the university. You as a student while in university, you have access. That's your classmates. Those are your people. You can make a change. I can't. I'm an outsider. I'm, most I'm going to come and give a talk to a few people who already care about the deen. What you can do in university, amongst your classmates, amongst your friends, circle, is so much more than what an outsider can ever do. Our job is simply to encourage you, to provide you support from outside. But it is the university students themselves who have to make that change. So for all the hufas that are in Chicago, for all the deendar religious families that have kids, girls and boys going to university, our universities are in pitiful condition. Horrible state. I talked about Dalar Hikmah last night. And definitely things were way, way better in 2006 to 2012 when Dar al-Hikmah was active with these universities doing programs. Ulama were going doing programs in there. But where are, the, where are today's leaders? And I, for the record, no one invites me. No one invites Mal Bilal. No one invites all these other ulama here. No. They don't, they don't even look, look at me. Did you ever come here before? I said, brother, I used to come here every single day for five years, six years. Oh, okay. What am I supposed to do? And, and, and for the ulama who's sitting there saying okay you have to give us $500 I'll tell you all these MSAs and from 2006 to 2012 they didn't pay anything they didn't even pay for gas if you come for 150 miles away they didn't pay but the idea was we knew what we were doing that we knew this is ground zero work this has to be done this is not some money making thing this is not even, don't even they won't even cover the cost but we knew this was a worthy investment alhamdulillah I'm honored that I was able to along with my colleagues make that investment in, in the youth 
in, between those years. But right now, it's, can we do a fundraiser? Oh, we need some funding. For what? To feed if, iftar. Who are you feeding? For what? That's, people eat their own food, man. Go eat out all the Roosevelt's packed places. Go eat there. Go home and eat. That's not what money needs to be for iftar. University needs programs. University needs Jum'ah. University needs Dhuhr Salah. Every single university needs to have Dhuhr. You need to have a halaqa right after Dhuhr. You need to have a, a method of inviting people. And I'll give you a beautiful example just from our, our Frankfurt where I was previously Imam. SubhanAllah, a y- youngster came with me. One boy, right? Remember, we went to a, one south side jama- masjid. South side masjid, scary, you know, like oh, tough, tough, rough neighborhood. I called it a weekend retreat. I took seven, eight boys with me from that masjid. They sat down, they got motivated, like, you know, we get motivated. They got motivated, and afterwards, I said, you know, they're like, what about Juma? We go to school, we don't pray Juma. I'm like, what do you mean you don't pray Juma? You have to pray Juma. Oh, really? We have to pray Juma? Yeah, if you've missed three Jumas on a consistent basis, or with Tahabun and Biha, or taking it lightly, not caring about Juma, then guess what? Your heart is sealed. Done deal, brother. It's not a joke. So what should we do? I established Juma in your high school. So one of the beloved brothers, mashallah, who was new to this country, he recently migrated, born overseas, and had, had a thick accent, right? So he's got all of that, all of those, you know, insecurities going on as a ninth, 10th grader in a big, massive high school, right? But he took it to heart. He's like, no, man, I got to do, I got to do something about this. He says, what, uh, I said, okay, you go speak to your, your principal. He went and spoke to this principal, can I establish Juma? I said, okay, you need to, we need to speak to the superintendent of the schools. So we got all the way to the next level. He did it all himself. Then he asked me to write a letter. I went and wrote a letter on behalf of the masjid. said, here, we have to establish Jummah. You must establish Jummah. Otherwise, the deen is not complete and the person could you know, jeopardize their faith. Okay. Now, he came back to me and said, the superintendent of the school district has got a question for the imam who just signed this letter. What is the question? I've been a superintendent for 30 years. Hundreds, hundreds of Muslims have gone through the three to four schools under the school district. In 30 years, I've never ever received any such letter from any mom, from any religious person, from any father, from any brother. Not even a request. If this is so important based on what your letter says, if this is so important based on what your letter says, uh, how come for 30 years no one said anything? What am I supposed to say? You hear what I said? The people didn't care. She's like, we all accommodated, but are you like a different sect maybe? You're like a different group that you believe you're the Jumayun, you know? You gotta pray Jumar or something like that. What, is, what exactly is this? Jamaatul Jumayin. Huh? People pray Juma. No, I mean, I said, man, not everyone goes to church, you know, this, that. What are you going to do? This is, that's just the reality. People don't practice the faith. So, mashallah, this boy, he went and he established, got a small room. And they said bet- between periods, you know, lunch break, they had um, seven minutes. Seven minutes. That's all. So he took musallas from home. And literally the whole week, Monday through Thursday, he's just making worry, trying to find people. Can you please join me for Juma? Can you please join me for Juma? And straight up, most of the people are like, what? Juma? For what? And they would not even, uh, you know, they're like, nope. And we don't even know what Juma is, or we don't know what it is, or we're not going to come. <laughs> and then he came, he said, there's some sisters ready. Is that, is that going to work? I'm like, it's not going to work. They can come, but the Juma is not going to be done through sisters, because it's not even wajib upon them. It's not even fard upon them. You have to have boys. But he ran around looking, looking. By first Friday, I think he had like five people. MashaAllah. He established his first Juma. Girls coming with skirts. Now what are you going to do? This, this is Jummah, right? The boys came and he, he, he said, of course no one gave Adhan or Iqama or led the Jummah besides him. He did everything. A to Z. Second week he did it. Third week did it. Can you imagine? Third week, you know, in that seven minutes, how much can you do? He did it. But because of his ikhlas of this young man, 
One person came to him and subhanAllah, he made tawbah on his hands from sell, not even taking drugs, but selling drugs. A Muslim youth who was in high school, who was selling drugs, he said, after hearing your khutbah, three minutes probably, right? He says, I, I want to repent. And so he came to me saying, dude, how am I supposed to handle this? When someone wants to make repenting from this type of stahara, how am I supposed to do? Like, what's the next step? And I remember this story from 2008 or 2009 so fondly because this is a perfect, beautiful example, an amazing case study of when one man, one young man wants to do something, or one young woman wants to do something, Allah's help will come if you're sincere. You don't have to, have, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be popular. You don't have to have a six-pack. You don't have to have nothing. You have to have ikhlas, true desire to serve the deen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take the work from you that did not happen for four decades in that same place. So if all of these youth here who are going to Benedictine, Elmers, UIC, UFC, Northwestern, DePaul, if you say, you know what, I'm not just going to go from in and out from four years to spend, you know, just get my degree and out. I'm going to leave a lasting legacy. Because you have four years to work. In those four years, the amount of youth that you can interact with and have an impact on them is just unbelievable. You know how many youth there are, how many, like the ones who I interacted with when I used to speak 2006 to 2012. Many of these youth were absolutely not practicing. They were not allowed to practice at their home. But because of the environment at university was so nice, the brotherhood and the sisterhood, separately that was, uh, they really changed. They never used to pray. They started praying because they're friends. They never used to come for Jummah. They started coming because of Jummah, they, uh, because of their friends. All of those things started happening because of the mahol, the environment. So many times people think that university, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do my thing and get out. Yet those are for people who are too weak to do anything. But if you have the ability uh, to, to bring some change, which all of us should have, inshallah, as a team, then those four years should become a means of changing at least 400 people. And this is why I encourage people to study and take programs like the summer intensive or the one-year program before you start college. So that your four years in college can actually become fruitful for the deen. Or at least halfway through your college. So that the remaining two or three years that you have in college can have an impact. So Chicago really should have such an environment where people, outsiders come here to our universities and they walk away learning the deen. Imam Zaid, one day he was mentioning, I think so it was Imam Zaid, yeah. He was saying that, you know, college four years is so long to do your basic courses. You have so much time. That's why in America, who's sitting there just doing 18 credits, 15 credits, and that's it? All your classmates, what are they doing? They got two jobs, one job, they fathered someone, they mothered someone, that's what they're doing. Right? They've got all sorts of stuff. No one is just going to college. They're doing 10 other things. So the, the college gives us so much time that we can easily, easily start doing a few years of ilm. By the time you finish college, you could seriously have studied a solid amount of deen. Solid amount of deen. It just requires time management and a commitment to it. So we should create this environment that, you know, in college, Monday, through, Monday Wednesday, Friday, we're going to have three classes and we're going to cover aqidah, we're going to cover fiqh, we're going to cover hadith. And if someone's interested, you know, we can even cover Quranic Arabic, fine. But there's no such thing as, I'm just doing college. No, I don't buy that. What does it mean I'm just doing college? You have so many endless hours that you're using to surf on the internet, Instagram, uh, and, and, and what you call NBA stats, and chit-chatting, laughing, joking, cry, you know, just wasting time, chilling. That amount, that youthful years, you're smart. You won't be able to, that intelligence, the freshness that you have, you're not going to have later on. Uncles at 60 years old, subhanAllah, it'll take them, maybe subhanAllah, you know, hours of what you could do in minutes. Because your mind is strong and fresh and you can learn things, memorize things, understand things. So the gist of what I'm trying to say, dear students who are in universities right now and fathers whose sons and daughters are in university, is university is a time to actually work, 
to do some amazing effort, effort in the university, create a solid Islamic um, sound environment. If it's through the student council and the MSA, okay. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. We're not wedded to any council. We're not wedded to any student body. You can do your own thing. Just do a halaqa at your home. You live on campus in an apartment, in your dorm, or in one of the public spots over there. Just book it. Book it under your name. Right? Or you don't even do need to book a room. There's so many, mashallah, huge, expansive spaces. You go sit there and you say, fine, let's all sit together and let's pray dhuhr. And after that, we'll, we'll cover a book. So, I don't think it's hopeless. I think we just need some strong, committed people here to say, you know what, I'm going to actually, inshallah, not just go to college, but rather I am going to establish deen at university. I think there's a question from a brother over here. Okay. Yes, we do speak for Jerusalem and Alhamdulillah. Uh, yes, inshallah. The Jer- yeah, okay, Zakallah khair, brother. This had a sual? What is it? Had a sual. This is a sual. inshallah. This is a sual. Barakallah fikum. So, this is the uh, a person when, it makes, when you make your effort. Alhamdulillah, results will come, solutions will come. Don't think that there's no solution, there's no results. It just requires one, a few of us to stand up and say, and this reminds me of Surah Kahf. Allah says, Indeed, there is a group, indeed, there were a group of young men who believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we increased them in guidance. So we see here two qualities. One, they were young and they were people of faith. They were young and they were people of faith. So when you have young men and women who are people of iman and faith, inshallah you can conquer the world. Anything can happen. You stand up, Allah says, we will increase you in guidance. But first we have to stand up. Right? First we have to stand up. Go ahead. And uh, you know, you're talking about how there's, it's not hopeless, there's actually like a, a way to do that. And I've seen that myself. You know, there are good MSAs out there and there are bad MSAs out there. And a lot of that has to do with leadership. And even at our own, like, at our university's MSA, I've seen that, like, their, um, you know, our most recent president, he, he was more, you know, mashallah, he was very, like, on his, uh, on his dean, on his morals. And because of that, like, I, there was changes in the program. They were sure. more strict about the gender relations. And, you know, they stopped having, like, music in the program and stuff. And because of that, it's funny, like, I, I started hearing that, like, oh, DePaul, they're, uh, they're the Wahhabi MSA because we were, uh. quote-unquote, so strict compared to everyone else. But if you... If the, you know, the religious-minded people, the, the people who are the mutadayyun who are on their deen, if they take these positions, they can definitely create change, and and we can we can see that like change that's been that's a, that we're able to see. Very good. Yes. So uh, the interesting thing is about MSA is that or university campus is that it's true. It's so clearly reflective of of, of the leadership. So you, it, there's no such thing as. This, MSA, this, this university is horrible or it's super good. It completely depends on who's leading it. Completely. So you have certain MSAs, they'll have four or five years of certain colleges. MashaAllah, like people are becoming hafal. The people are studying ilm. There's halaqat of ilm in there. It's amazing things are happening. And then when those, those few amazing people leave, the whole thing changes. Reminds me of a, a small town I visited in America somewhere. And I went to a masjid and someone invited me to their house. He was a physician and... Uh, and his, do- his sons were in also in pr- medical programs. Such amazingly beautiful children who were raised with akhlaq and character and, and, and sunnah. I was like, wow, how did you raise these young men in the middle of nowhere, far away from any l- large community, large 
madrasa, etc. So good akhlaq and so much adherence to sunnah. <clears throat> so now both of them, those boys, they're like, oh, we want to study. We want to come study the deen. But they were both in like medical programs. So I asked the father, like, how did this happen? Can you tell me your story? So he was sharing his story. He says he was, he's from the army, like in Pakistan. He said, uh, and he said, we come from the army and, uh, and we have no deen. And to the extent, he said, when I go for my Eid get-togethers, Eid get-togethers or sit with my relatives, he said, every single person is drinking except for me. A whole family drinks. He said, I'm the only person who doesn't drink alcohol. Because they're, they're, they're secular, completely secular. But I said, you, mashallah, practicing in sunnah, your kids are practicing sunnah, deen, what, how did this happen? So he said he was in Islamabad, I think so, and he was in a medical school, and there was one fellow classmate, or one person in the university, who had a jamaat background, da'wah tabliq background, da'i. And he said he worked on me. And he said he would say that, let me take, take, uh, take me with, uh, I'm gonna take you for jawla. He'd take me in the, in the, in the uh, okay, now in the medical school, it was, I think it was, part of the, it was part of the army. So they are very strict. You're not allowed to do any type of tanzim, any type of uh, what you call group, any type of hizb, any type of effort of, besides whatever the army sanctions, not allowed at all. So he said we, we, would, we would jump over the wall to, and go to a local masjid to participate in their jawla, right? To go participate in their weekly programs. And, and he was giving so much dua. He said, that's it. He's, he said, that one person is the only reason that I'm a practicing Muslim and my children, you see what they are. While the entire family is absolutely away from the deen. And he was giving so much dua to that individual who had an impact on him at university. So I'm, I'm repeating and regurgitating the fact is that university is that time is that place where we can make serious changes upon people? Um, I think so. On the so MSA, like so, the university environment can be can be very good if the right people are there. But I think one thing is that people underestimate how um, adverse of an effect it can have on you. Um, they think that you know I'm you know I'm practicing I you know I'm I go to the masjid every every day I do this I do that so I, I should be good you know I know myself I should be good when I go to like a university but I think like one thing people really underestimate is how much of an effect it can have on you and how much and how like insidious and like unnoticeable that effect can be and I think like an, an analogy I've, like I was thinking about was. If someone starts, you know, eating a lot, right? They eat like a couple of hundred calories more than their intake a day. Where, you know, like they eat a some more, they drink some more milk, eat some more cookies, some more chips. It's a very like you know small amount of calories. But over the course of like months, they'll gain a lot of weight. And the only way they'll realize it is either two ways: one, someone points it out to them, or the other is that they they notice that like they're breathing way harder. <laughs> so you know, they they like it's like a drastic change in their own health. They won't notice until like it's something you know very very different. So that's the same way with with university. Is like if you're you know you might think that you're you know you're you're good in your own environment and once you go there you'll be you'll be fine. But the the way it can affect you is so gradual and so like subtle that it takes either someone pointing it out to you or you doing something you never thought you would do to f really figure it out. That's a very good point. So what, what Mulana Sa'ad is saying is that the university it has an effect on you, a very subtle, subtle effect, and it's slowly, it's what we call istidraj. 
in the Quran, istidraj. How Allah Azawal says, Inna ladina kathabu ayatina sanastadrijuhum min haythu la ya'lamun. Istidraj means step by step, slowly bringing someone down. And this is what shaitan does. Shaitan, he doesn't yank you. Because if you fall over, then you're like, oh, you'll stand up and go back to where you were sitting because you fell over. It's very obvious. But if you slowly slide someone, he won't even realize that he's actually coming down. He was over there and now he's over here. So that's how shaitan works with us. He starts making us start, become, makes us desynthesize to things that we previously would never think we would do. First of, the first step to falling into sin or falling into something un-Islamic is for the repugnance and the hatred or the evilness of that to come out of the heart. When you are more tolerant, huh? more accepting. You know one brother who came from a Muslim country told me, he said the first time I went to a store, grocery store here, I said I couldn't believe it. In my life I had never seen liquor. And I could not believe an entire aisle filled with it. He said I just turned around and ran the other way. He said I could not believe the sight of it. That's what happened first time he saw it. And then afterwards, what happened? You end up becoming a cashier. Unfortunately, you were just putting in the plastic bag. Right? So, it, it starts slowly. And so university, like when boys and girls come to the one-year program, and they and they off right now. So, oh my God, this environment has been amazing. Right, guys? Okay. So, remember, it works both sides. If itikaf, not eight, five days could have been amazing, life-changing. You don't think four years could be life-changing? It works both ways. It's not just upwards, it's also downward. <clears throat> if a dini environment, a masjid environment, madrasa environment is powerful effect on you, 100% that environment is going to have a corrosive effect on you. It's not possible that you only grow spiritually and you don't go downhill. So the, what is a good sign? The good sign is that you feel like a fish out of water when you're in, out in, in, in those places. You do your thing, you feel like, oh my God, this just, I feel I'm surrounded by stuff that is not legit. So that's a good sign that iman is awakened side. You, you know. And as soon as you start becoming accustomed, now if you look at uh, so many of the youth today who are sitting in the masjid, mashallah, look all Sufis, like, oh, we're in the turban, doing the thicker turban. But the same youth, unfortunately, if you see it in a university the MSA event, they'll sit there rubbing shoulders against girls, laughing in an MSA event. We're setting up the iftar, <laughs> and joking, laughing. Like, what are you guys doing, man? I mean, every single, uh, interestingly, for the past few weeks, I've been invited to speak at different places. I walk into the room and I just see all the guys and the girls. First of all, 70% girls, 30% boys. And then, so every guy is, you know, with four girls. And there's no, there is no concept of haya. That I'm walking in as a, as a guest speaker and they're sitting there giggling in front of the mic, setting it up. Two people, it takes two people. How many, how many guys and girls it take to set up a mic for an MSA event? Huh? You know what I mean? Like, we should have a joke on that. Like that's what it is. It's like, what are you doing? In front of the whole crowd, you're sitting there making moves on one another in front of each other. Like in front of the whole crowd, I'm about to come. You're sitting there laughing, joking. We're not stupid. We see stuff, right? We understand how to read things. So this is it. How, how, that same person will be sitting there trying to do his khatm al-Quran. Trying to be doing, I'm doing my second khatm. But then he's sitting there giggling with girls, right? How? He's a different animal in a different environment. That's it. Over here, he would never think of doing it. But there, when in Roman, do as Romans do type of things. Like, okay, no one's watching. This is acceptable over here, so I'm going to do it. Did he intend to do that? No. He just became desynthesized to all of it when he restarts regarding that this is the normal way of dealing with each other over here at university, so I'm going to do that. So now, basically what I am proposing 
is that if you are a university student, you have to have to get out of that environment <clears throat> every single week to a holistic, spiritually strong environment every single week so that you can get a breath of fresh air. And so when you go back to university, you realize the f- toxicity of that environment. If you stay there too long, then you will get too accustomed to it. So my pro- policy is, in the Darussalam, of course, in the masjid, we have, of course, full separation. Women have their 26,000 square foot building. We have our own building. Alhamdulillah, we have joint programs sometimes, and we have separate programs, whatever the case may be. However, you know, so this is, this is our turf. When, I bring, when we invite people over here, we want them to feel... All those brothers in Atikaf, young guys, if you had young girls running around here doing Atikaf too, I don't think you'd have the same feeling, right? You would have, different, you would have feelings, but different feelings. Not the feelings that you have now. Alright? So, uh, because this is the environment. Alhamdulillah, you're away from that, what you're accustomed to, you're focused, and it's beautiful. This, this is true. This is one of the main reasons people come here and benefit. They don't know why they benefit. And then after five days, they come and tell me, you know what? I just figured this out. I've been here for seven days or six days. I haven't seen a single female. Right? And not in, improperly dressed or properly dressed. Regardless, I haven't seen a non-mahram. That's it. So that, then they come and tell me, you know what, this is probably the reason why I feel so different than I've ever done in any other program. I attend Islamic conferences, retreats, this and that. I've never so, felt so spiritually uplifted the way I do now. And I'm like, okay, I never said that. You're saying it. That's okay. Alhamdulillah, it's great. But you're right. More than likely that you're right. To the extent that I had some group of people come from Dallas for the winter intensive some years ago. Maybe 10, 15 students came for the, from, for the winter intensive. At the end of the winter intensive, they came to me. And like, Sheikh, you know what? You know, we just realized something. And I said, what happened? And this is what they told me. They're like, we just realized that this five days has left an impact upon us that we've never left, felt in our life before. Nowhere. No matter what gathering we've gone to, no matter what conference, no matter what retreat, never have we felt. And this was outside of Ramadan. It was during December holidays. And I said, I'm very happy to hear. Those same boys then told me, it's probably, this is what we've decided. We figured it was because of the fact that there was no gender interaction here. Can we, and, there, and then they said, we've never seen a masjid like this before. We're coming from Dallas. We've never even dreamed that this is a concept as well. There's so many huge masjids there, but we've never thought, we've never thought that this is a concept like that. And so they're asking, that can we build a masjid like this in Dallas? And I was like, mashallah, you know, youthful people, that's exactly what you should do. So they went back to their imam. The imam called me. And he was impressed. He said, and I said, brother, we didn't talk about this topic in our retreat. Gender interaction was not part of the winter re- retreat agenda. This is completely something they picked up themselves. And they themselves came up with this proposal that this is something beautiful, unique, and it allowed us to grow spiritually. So when it comes to the masjid environment, alhamdulillah, this is where, because we're, come here, we're, we're not coming here for socialization. Right? We're, not, we're not supposed to be here chit-chatting and talking. There's an outside place you do for a different time. The masjid, you're here to build your relationship with Allah. If we're just going to socialize, we're all already doing that at university. This is, this is the whole idea, they say, that guys and girls need to find good what? spouses. Right? So if you, don't, if you don't allow gender mixing in masjids, then where are they going to find a spouse? Since when is Taliban running all our universities and they're segregated? Tell me. Every, which find me a segregated university. All the universities, all day, all night, that's all you do, is mix and mingle and check each other out. There's enough time for you to go check each other out. Why is it only in the masjid now that you have to, on Laylatul Qadr, you got to check each other out? Why? That makes no sense. You, I understand you want to find a partner and you don't have uh, different ways. And, and we've already spoken about this in a couple nights ago and, uh, and about the topic on marriage, I think so. That's when we spoke about it. I disagree with that method of finding him, but sometimes there's a revert. He has not a single friend, relative who's a Muslim. He has no idea where to start. So he literally might, he or she might have to go through about that method. Okay. But there's a place for that. 
right? Not to say that in the masjid we need to sit there and all sit up in pairs together and just start looking at each other and say, I like you, I don't like you, you look attractive, you don't. That's, that's not what the masjid is for. This is for us to beautify ourselves in front of Allah. That Allah looks at us and says, I love you. Allah looks at us, our Nabi looks at us and says, I love you. This is how you look like my Nabi, I love you. That's what we want to hear. Right? We don't want to hear other things. So the masjid is supposed to be like that. So uh, the example I gave of university is that you know, as, as, a, as a person like myself going to university and speaking at times, where obviously there's no barrier. But, you know, my example I feel is like a firefighter. And the university or any gathering where there's, no, where there's complete gender interaction and there's no, there's no barriers, and that's something that a non-Muslim is running. It's not in our hands. Or an extremely, extremely liberal organization that has nothing to do with the deen is, is running. Cultural, cultural events. If you're invited to speak, then you should only go in as a firefighter going into a house that's burning. Right? So it's about to fall down, this huge flames smoke all over. What happens? You're going to go try to find, rescue some people. That's your purpose. You go in with a niyyah of extraction. I need to go in and extract people out. You can have the best gear, but as a firefighter, if you go sit there and say, let's drink some chai, bring in some Oreo cookies and let's enjoy some Oreo cookies and milk in this burning house, you're gonna die. So you could be the best scholar, best die. You, don't, you won't last. Our job when we go to these mixed events, for example, if it has happened happen in university, you do a surgical attack. You do give your talk, do the dhikr, do the dua, and out. And your goal is you throw in the fishing rod. Hopefully, someone will catch onto the hook and you pull them out of there, of the environment. Do you mean, am I saying they leave university? No. But that they come and they come and sit in this type of environment and they get a breath of fresh air. And then they go back to university tomorrow. But then they automatically start realizing this, this friend is not beneficial for me. This class is not beneficial for me. This person uh-uh, is not beneficial for me. And this person is beneficial for me. The one who's not cool may be the most beneficial person. The one who's the most charismatic may be the most harmful. That ability to distinguish from right from wrong, we lose it in that environment. So when you come out of that environment and come into a cleaner environment of deen, of the masjid, of dhikr, dua, salah, good company, then what happens? The veils get removed and we start seeing things right from wrong. So I propose to all college students is that weekly, on a weekly basis, you need to go uh, detox yourself in, in, like, uh, in a masjid, a proper masjid that's got good program, Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights, Monday night, whatever. Find a masjid that's got a program. If you're in Chicago, every single Monday night we have here Dars of Sahih Bukhari after Maghrib. Every single Tuesday night we have a Dars of Tafsir. Every single Thursday night we have a short reading of Salawat upon the Prophet Every Saturday morning, who's got Fajr, post-Fajr class on Saturday? Any of you? Huh? Post-Fajr class, except for those who are in the continuation program. Dar al-Salaam is a continuation program for graduates of the one-year program. We have class on Saturday after Fajr. But uh, besides that, no one does. Just if you could make it out here, if those of you who are listening to me who live in Chicago, the out-of-state brothers here, you have to find another masjid in your area where once a week in person you can go attend a dars. This is what I'm, this is what I'm telling you. I'm not just saying gloom and doom. I want to give you practical solutions. Get out of that environment once a week and pray salah with jama'ah and attend a halaqah and have a mentor. It's so important to have a mentor. It's so important. Today, I was happy and honored that one of the graduates of the seven-year program, he's an alim, he's, he's a, he is a figurehead in his community. He is an imam, main imam of this entire massive masjid. He left me a voice message, I didn't get a chance to respond to him. And he messaged me again today. He said, this is urgent. So then I listened to it right now before Isha. His question was, tonight is our khatma Qur'an dua. <clears throat> and I have to make dua. How should I make my dua? Right? It's alim hafiz qari. How should I make dua? The question is, if I make dua thinking that no one is behind me, I know for sure I'm going to cry. 
because I'm emotional in dua, especially khatma Quran dua, I cry a lot. But then I'm thinking that what are, what are the people gonna say? Like, is this against ikhlas? Not what people say. Is this against? Is this insincere that I'm trying to impress the people and making crying in front of the whole crowd? They're gonna say, wow, 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 what an amazing imam. We have a very pious imam. So then, should I just force myself, hold back, and not cry? But then the other thing is that there's an expectation that the imam should be pious, and then he's not crying. So you know, then there's like, oh, this guy is a, is is, a, is a not a good guy. What am I supposed to do? Then he said, in a nutshell, I want to know what ikhlas is. I gave him a, literally a five-second answer. As ikhlas is you don't care about the people behind you. That's it. You're facing the qibla. Don't look. Act like there's no one there. You just do what you got to do. If they impressed, and if they're not impressed, if they praise you or speak ill of you, it does not make a difference because you're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As long as what you're doing is not against the deen, you're following the sunnah, to make a dua after khatm quran is a proper thing to do. Don't worry about what people say. Oh, he's a fake person, he's crying a lot. Or he's amazing, he's very pious. Or, or whatever else. If you don't feel like crying, and tears first of all are, are, are natural. Right? Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't get it. If they don't come to you, don't feel guilty. Oh, what are people going to say? The imam didn't cry today. That's, that is insincerity. That's insincerity. Don't worry whether you, what, what people are going to say. Five second answer. But the fact, what I'm trying to tell you is that we all need a mentor. This morning, Alhamdulillah, I spoke to my teacher this morning. So the idea is regularly all high school, university students, you have to have a mentor that you ask them questions. How am I supposed to work at university? How am I supposed to work in high school? What is this specific scenario? What should I be doing? Inshallah, if you do these two things, coming into a good environment once a week, and number two is have a mushir, someone you make mashwara with. These two things, inshallah, will be of great help. You know, um, a lot of young people, they think that you know, if, they, if they meet like, their old teacher or like they're doing something in front of their parents and then their parents start nagging at them, they think that's very annoying. They think like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, that's not what I intended, but they're just you know, thinking bad of me and they're, they're telling me off. And they get mad at that. They get like, um, irritated by that. But one important thing to realize is that that nagging you get from your teacher or from your parents is one of the greatest blessings you could have. Because if, without that, it's so easy for you to just like, kind of keep going down a path you don't realize, and then you, you don't know where you're gonna end up. But if you have people kind of like calling you out for that, it might be kind of annoying to the nuss right now, it might be kind of irritating, but that will keep you in check way more than you yourself can. MashaAllah. Something very important to realize like how, how much of a blessing that is. Having parents, having teachers who keep you in check is the greatest blessing because we can keep ourselves in check. You need to have outsiders to do that, exactly. So inshallah, let's take some questions. Yes. First, you asked last time also the first one. Alhamdulillah, he, he steal, steal it in, yeah. Shalala. Yeah. Several, okay. Several hadith that encourage people. Uh -huh. Thank you for asking the question. This is, this is the wrong interpretation of the hadith, to think that the hadith is telling us to marry people who we're in love with. How could that even be? Your own fitra should say this cannot be hadith. Right? Because in order, love is an advanced thing. Lust is there. Love is something way beyond that. In order to love someone, you have to have a lot of interactions with them. A lot of interactions. To have a level, that many levels of interaction with a female from, the opposite, you know, from an opposite gender, unrelated person, 
Imagine how many close interactions have to happen which would absolutely not be condoned by the deen. So it, it, I said this the other day too. Men and women were working in the same space 35 years ago. You heard me, I'm sure I said that. Right? Only 30, it's only been 35 years since men and women have been working in shared spaces. Just 35 years. Men, not Muslim men and women. The world's men and women. Right in the in the in the uh, in the uh, what you call the first world countries for sure, and you know uh, probably the rest of the world too, that <clears throat> this shared space of working is something brand new phenomena. This is like exactly like you know what's gonna happen. I'm just I'm being honest. Ten years from now, people are literally there's gonna say the same thing. Bhai, you're supposed to marry who you love, and I love a guy. Khalas, done deal, because that's how common that will become. That's how common that will become. Marrying within the same gender has become such a common thing that people have a hard time thinking that there was an era where that was not common. So this so-called love marriage, we're not there when I talk about marriage, we talk about love marriage, we talk about the statistics, we talk about all those things of how that stuff even statistically doesn't work out. In t- because of so many different reasons. I don't want to repeat that, just go ahead and listen to the t- lecture on, on marriage that we did. So yes, that hadith is there that if there's nothing like nikah that creates love between people. For people, two people who want to love one another, there's nothing like nikah. The nikah is the thing that brings two people together. Yes, next, next question. Yes. MashaAllah, what this same brother asking, all the rest of you guys don't want to ask anything, huh? Yes. Uh, how do you find a mentor? So you, you, you have to look at someone, yani you're not going to necessarily find the perfect person immediately. You have your parents definitely should be part of your mentor uh, circle. Parents should be part of that. Number two, then you want to start looking for people of ilm. All right? So you want to see which scholars are in your community. Uh, I've talked about this before too. Find scholars who have actively studied for a number of years. And have uh, not just at university, but have studied in a traditional methodology where uh, their sanad and their chain goes back to the Prophet of Ijazah. And then they are people on Sunnah. Whatever you feel like, whatever you know about the Sunnah, you say they're always practicing or at least trying their best to practice and speaking about the Sunnah, inviting towards the Sunnah. They are not necessarily going with the flow on every single thing. They understand you, they understand your background, they understand where you're coming from. And then they'll give you, uh, hopefully, uh, advice that is relevant to your situation. Uh, and then ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tonight, on this night and all these nights, ask Allah, Ya Allah, allow me to find a guide. Allow me to find a mentor. So you keep on looking. You can take advice from multiple ulama, multiple scholars, to, to find the perfect mentor who you're going to, going to ask him for everything. That might take many years. You don't need to rush into that. But in the meantime, get a habit of asking. Yes. They call it PSA? Yeah, yeah. So mock, mock Mendy, mock culture, mock wedding stuff. This is a new TikTok phenomenon or whatever, I guess so. This is something new happening. Yes, I've heard about it. Uh, it it's happening here. It's happening. How do you stop people from attending those things? You know, all, and, and we're not going to just stop there. There's many other things haram that are happening. How are you going to explain that to someone? It's very hard. 
Because the whole environment is going towards the opposite direction. And he's going to think, you're the only weirdo who's saying not to go there. The rest of everyone else is going. So it's very hard to explain these things in that type of environment. Unless he's, you think he's already got some fitra in him. He's got some, his fitra nature is not completely distorted. And by your advice, he may listen. I think what I spoke about earlier, that when it comes to nahi an al-munkar and stopping people from doing that which is impermissible, the best way is first to bring them into a good environment. Dini environment. Where they get a, you know, they get a basic cleansing. And their eyes and ears are cleansed out, washed out. And so they become more willing to listen to what you've got to say. If in that environment of the university we start saying that this is not right, uh, not everyone's going to be able to swallow that. So basically, idea is bring them into a more holistically, spiritually uplifting environment away from that. Let, them, let it marinate, let them listen to things. MashaAllah, one week, two weeks, and then you can discuss this issue. Yes. Oh, did they have what? Uh huh. Question is: Some universities have policy that student bodies need to be all inclusive, uh, and you cannot be sectarian. So you have, for example, Qadiani running for uh, office in, in, in one of the MSAs that he was at, or in his university. Well, in, you know, in that case, you have to basically go educate, educate the, the admin on this. That this is, we're, no, again, no one's advocating violence. No one's advocating abuse. No one, we're not even here to sit here and debate. But it's simply, there's just different denominations, at the very least. Mormons and Catholics are extremely different. You cannot imagine them uh, calling a Mormon church and Catholic church the same. They were not, they're not different. Absolutely not. So please don't, you don't know our faith. You cannot force us into, uh, you know, b- b- uh, into one organization. Let, if they are by all means, if they don't have an Ismaili or Ahmadi uh, or, you know, Agha Khani different group, who's there stopping it? Let them do what they're doing. But to put that into the banner, I remember uh, Mufti Bin Haj one day mentioned that there was an interfaith um, uh, event that he attended as an imam there back in Missouri. And there was, you know, Qadiani, uh, I think so, who was coming there as well. And so uh, this was an issue he keeps on representing. And so then at the end, Alhamdulillah, he went and explained to them that, listen, if he wants to come, but he cannot be a representative of Islam. He can come as another sect. He's not going to be sitting on the table with all the Muslim imams. He can sit. There's Buddhists, there's Jews, there's Christians, there's Mormons, there's everyone else. And he can be there too if you, with his own, uh, uh, you know, table or faith group or whatever. So they need to be educated on this is what I'm saying. Because otherwise they're thinking, oh, you're just being marginal, marginalizing and, and being, um, you know, aggressive on this. <clears throat> yes? What kind of things should you What type of things should you make mashwara about and you always have to invi- uh, uh, take advice of scholars? a really good question. I mean, um, whether you should choose, um, you know, cinnamon toast crunch or honey nut Cheerios, you don't need to ask. Although some people might want to, but you know, you don't need to ask for things that don't have uh, an impact long term. Your your career, your uh, involvement at university, to what degree? Um, career is a big thing. Of course, after career, what job? You know, naturally, marriage is a huge one. 
big one, big one. That you should, these are big decisions. Then after marriage, some of the major issues, say before an issue gets too out of control, after marriage, trying to deal with your spouse, deal with your parents, all those type of things come about. That's where you want to definitely take mashwara. You try to handle things on your own, uh, man, they just don't work. So major decisions that will have an effect on your future is when you should consult. Um, uh, and then if it's something that the sharia has an involvement in, then you, you, ask, you ask a scholar. But sometimes the scholar himself, there's nothing to do with the sharia. This has to do with law or medicine or engineering. Why are you asking me this? Go ask someone who is an expert in that field. They'll give you the advice. So if it, if it has to do with the Islamic thing, then naturally you want to be speaking, asking um, a scholar. Otherwise you don't need to. You can ask, get their du'as for sure. So there's, a, there's one thing is taking advice. And one thing is just keeping certain individuals in your life informed of what's happening just so you constantly be in their du'as. That's very important. Yes? I've been, I've been speaking about this topic many times that the deen it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we have to make sure that the environment of the masjid is where deen is if someone says this is too, the deen, masjid environment is something uh, uh, too much for me we cannot change it I, have, I know people of course uh, and you know people uh, who, say, who, are, who are Muslims claim by, by name but would never never, never simply say I'm, you know, I'm not going to step foot in, in a mosque because why? there's too many people with beards or too many people praying. They're actually allergic to salah. They can't take it. What we, should we do? Should we stop praying here now? Because we want to accommodate, we want to bring someone closer? No, we're not going to do that. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need anyone. Allah doesn't need anyone. You came here. Why you came here? Because Allah, you wanted to be here. Allah wanted you and you wanted to come, so you're here. This, Islam is about submission. We cannot bend over to accommodate people and change the deen to make people feel. That person, you can invite him to your house. Invite him to your house. Feed him. Give, you know, make his ikram. Take him out to the park. Do whatever you want. Do in his heart over. But we're not going to stop. We're not going to change the environment of the masjid or musalla to be able to bring him. The way to bring him to closer is to do things out of your way with your own pocket money and with your own ikram. Do things to win his heart over. That's how he's supposed to do it. Not to say we are going to bring the level of the masjid to, uh, to a notch, five notches down to be able to make you feel comfortable. That defeats the purpose. This is uh, the masjid or the musalla environment should be where people come to spiritually grow. Right? That's the idea. MSA, for example, you have to. Have, there's no one straightforward answer. Look at your university. Look at the people who are around you. Uh, you know, and, and, and if, there are, if there are ways you can try to bring, uh, uh, you know, it just, if you have enough people, basically, you have enough people in leadership, you got the votes, like everywhere else. If you got the votes to get stuff done, you can get anything done. But if the votes are not there, you don't have the support, then in the end, the, the MSA has just gone to a whole different level of liberalism, music, as you're saying, and events, and this, that. Then it's okay, you just do your own thing. You, you know, you come for Juma, you come for thing, but when it comes to your halaqat and stuff like that, just kind of uh, do it separately. It doesn't have to be under the banner of any specific organization. Maqsad, you know, naam nahi We don't need labels. 
We don't care about labels. We need to do work. So as long as the work is getting done, it doesn't make a difference under what label it is. Yes? Advice, very good question. That what kind of advice should you give about people taking courses of philosophy, things of that sort? Is there you know, any uh, guidelines? Thing is that our moms and dads are not involved in choosing any of this stuff. So we have no idea what children are doing. I remember one auntie, she, she used to do tafsir. I don't know where she studied. But nonetheless, I don't think she's officially studying anywhere. But she says she does tafsir dars in the masjid. So one day she told me, oh, you know, my son has got a little some issues. Can you speak with him? And she does tafsir, meaning she, apparently she understands the Qur'an. I'm just like, oh, okay, what is the little issue you need me to talk to him about? And she's like, oh yeah, when I wake him up for salah, he's like, uh, you know, mom, I don't, I don't need to, pr- I don't, I don't want to pray, that doesn't mean anything to me. When I tell him to read Qur'an, he says, oh, that, he, he said, those are just, literally he said, these are fairy tales. And so what's the point of me reading? I'm just looking at her, I'm like, wait, you don't understand that those two statements are kufr? Your son is not a Muslim. Like, I didn't say that to her, but I'm like, you're doing tafsir in a masjid. You can't understand that this is kufr, 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 kufr bawah. It's open kufr. It's not even something you can even, you know, do a ta'wil of and try to come up with some other interpretation. It's weird. Moms and dads got some crazy thick veils over their eyes that they don't understand where their children are going. So that's one very sad reality of what we're dealing with. Moms and dads, they can say, Berta, did you eat? They understand. I see you didn't eat, son. Come on, you only had one roti in the morning. See, look at how you look so weak. She can see that, but she can't see that his son, her son has become a kafir. Her daughter has become a murtad, an atheist. Can't see that. And I deal with this a lot. I deal with this so much. That's why I'm very, 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 very passionate about this topic because it just it kills me to see moms and dads just allowing their children to leave Islam. And on top of that, not even realizing it. And then on top of that, when I tell them that, oh, okay. Oh, what's for Sehri? You know, like that. Like literally, so like they move on to the conversation and the next thing. How could you move on? How could you even think about food after you just realize that your son and daughter is not a Muslim anymore? It's weird. I don't know what is the reason oh, this is happening. So one of the, so that boy who, said, who told this to his mom, I said, where can I meet him? Does he come to the masjid? No, he doesn't come to the masjid. Oh, he goes to XYZ University. I said, yeah, I speak there. This was, you know, those days when I used to go speak. So then when I went to that university, I told some of the guys there, hey, man, can you find me this kid? They're like, uh, okay, yeah, let me see. We'll try to grab him somewhere. So over pizza, I don't think he came to any lecture. Over pizza, we met. And I started talking to him. How are you doing? Fine, good. So what are you studying? Philosophy major. I'm like, okay. Obviously, game over. Like, this is naturally the reason. You're dean. You never had dean before you came to university. And then if you're a philosophy major, what do you expect? This is exactly what you'd expect. So world, you know, liberal arts classes, as well as... Uh, you know, philosophy classes. These are things that can become, amongst many other things, but these are definitely things you got to be very, very, very careful. There are, there, there, there are students who've, who've come and sat with some of our teachers over here, and they would have very tough questions. Alhamdulillah, you know, this, we're so blessed that uh, Darussalam, mashallah, I call this like a university hospital. Right? It's not, it's not your local urgent care. And it's not even a uh, larger, you know, 200 bed hospital. This is a university hospital.
So where you have, you don't just have me, you have, mashallah, 40, 50 ulama here. And there's one expert in philosophy, Islamic philosophy. You have an expert in tajweed. You have an expert in inheritance law. You have an expert in zakat. You have an expert who will deal with financial contracts. You'll have, uh, you'll have an expert in, in hadith. Alhamdulillah. Thumma alhamdulillah. This is why you, know, you need institutions like this where you have ulama around the clock working on different things, researching and things. Why am I sitting here? Because the, my other colleagues don't want to be sitting here, right? They want to do research, they want to write, and they want to do other things. So, but the blessing is you come here with the problem, I can channel you to the right place. We've got someone for you here. <clears throat> so one of our ustads, who's an expert on, 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 on Western philosophy and, and mashallah aqidah, so one student came to him, and he took a summer course here. And first day of class, you know, he asked a bunch of questions. But mashallah, that teacher was superb. He handled it. He, he, alhamdulillah, he'd been there, done that. Uh, he actually converted eight of his relatives who had left Islam, got them back to Islam. Eight of his relatives who, had left, who became atheists, he was able to get them back to Islam. That's, that's, a, that's a quite a feat, man. MashaAllah. So, um, so he would come first day of class, start asking all these questions. This boy is an um, uh, Islamic school graduate. You know? And um, valid Victorian of an Islamic school. Valid Victorian of an Islamic school. But he started asking a bunch of questions. So Alhamdulillah, teacher, and he, I mean like three pages of questions. And he answered all of them. The last day of class, he told him, Listen, this type of inquisition and questioning that you do, I don't have a problem. You know, we can go on for alhamdulillah forever. It's not an issue. But this is going to destroy you soon if you don't focus on your spirituality. Not just reading Arabic and studying Arabic and studying more. You have to focus on your relationship with Allah. If you don't, then these type of questions will eventually cause you to leave Islam. So mashallah, you know, he left and he continued studying ilm and you know, he started becoming very practicing in, in, in university, very practicing. Had a huge, grew out his beard, started wearing a thobe, topi, started studying you know, alim program, this, that. Then I don't know what happened. He dropped all of that. I lost touch with him. And then two, three years later, I received a message from someone else with a picture of his on Instagram that now he is proudly, he is the new president of the Pride Club of that university. It's a massive, huge university, 40, 50,000 students. Imagine first generation Muslim from overseas, you know, children of, a son of an immigrant becoming president of a pride club. So um, I was wondering, wow, has this happened? He was, you know, uh, I had to break the news to the father and the father didn't know what pride club meant. You know, very, uh, he, he's just, I couldn't believe it. And it's a long story, but subhanAllah, it's a sad story. Sad story is he left pre-medicine and he went to philosophy. And um, now, you know, he left every, he had opportunity to do medicine in the top-notch program. He left it all and he became a philosophy major. And as of now, we know that he's living as a, as a non-Muslim. Non-Muslim gay person, right? SubhanAllah. May Allah subhanAllah guide him. Say Ameen. May Allah bring him back to the deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove the shaitan from his mind. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow him to see the truth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow this whole process that he is going through Allow it to become a means of, of benefit that he ends up serving Islam in a manner that no one could ever think of. I mean, Arabul Alameen. His mom and dad are crying every day. They told me, we literally, we, wait, we, go to, we wake up crying, we go to bed crying. We, we wake up, we live and die every day. Marte and Zindaote. Because they don't even know what to do. So there's so many, so many, so many other kids like this out there who are actually outright murtad, atheist. Uh, of course, gay and lesbian, whatnot, all the whole things coming from Islamic schools, coming from HIF schools, coming from good homes, practicing homes. University is just another whole crazy place. 
And one big, the reason why I talked about this was the fact that what that Mulana told him was right. He said, you're going into philosophy without studying uh, your deen and you're not without being spiritually connected with Allah. And this is going to destroy you and sure enough, that's exactly what, it, what happened to him. So, I mean, this, it's, it's, you're, we're playing with fire, man. It's not just fire of dunya. Fire of, fire of akhirah. So be careful. Don't just blindly send, in, you know, how many of you are currently in university? Raise your hand. All right. And many of you are graduated already or are going to go. So all those kids who are not in university, it's nothing exciting. Oh, I got to go check it out. You know, like I've got to go see it. There's this whole, this idea, oh, I'm going I'm to miss out. I'm going to miss out. There's nothing more important. I know this, what I'm going to say is like, uh, oh, really? But I'm, I'm going to tell you what, I, what, what is the truth. There's nothing more important than saving your deen. Nothing more important than getting into paradise. Nothing more. If you didn't think that, you wouldn't be here tonight. The fact that you're here tonight means you actually believe that going to Jannah is the most important thing and saving your skin from hellfire is the most important thing. You all agree with that? Okay, so then be smart. In your life, be smart. Don't do decisions. Don't take decisions. And don't put yourself in harm's way where there's a comp chance of you literally losing your iman. What I mean by that, try your best to limit your exposure to university. Try your best to take classes online. Try your best to take community, what you call community college classes for the first two years. Try your best to stay at home and commute from home. Try to, definitely try to stay in state. All of these things. And if there's a course that you're taking, especially IT, etc., it's available online, do it online. Do it online. And, and try your best to not have to. If you have to go into university, then, uh, you know, then you try to do something that's near your house, in which you can stay at home, and uh, you're, you know, take all your classes on one day, pile it up, pile it up. Wednesday's 8 a.m. till Wednesday 6 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, th- Thursday, Friday, you're off. Use that time to do some beanie work, stay in the mahal. Don't go five days a week to university for what? One day this, one class a day, three hours, but the whole day we're in that filth. We don't realize that. So if, the, if we are smart and you realize that putting myself in harm's way is not good, Inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow you to have a very good education, top-notch, uh, what you want to call it? Top-notch um, a job, Inshallah, with, while saving your deen. And guess what? If you just make 100,000 and not 300,000, but you get to Jannah, don't you think that's worth it? Okay, I hope you think it is. Well, that's the point. Let's start thinking in the long run. What is worth it for me? Because you know, moms and dads, they don't understand. They only understand when the janazah is in front. Like this story I told you. Then they sit there and cry. And this mom cried and she said, I did so much for my son. Islamic school. You know, I, I, maktab. I did all this stuff. And she's telling me, I didn't realize that all of this is not going to be enough. That we're living in an era that you have to do 10 times more than this in order to survive. So for moms and dads, they just don't understand how corrosive and horrible the university environment is. So as, as students who do know this, we have to, uh, you know, explain to our parents. And it's, it's, about, it's about your akhirah. This, this is not something you can't budge on. You say, no, I care about my deen more than anything else. It's not only about my, I need to get into a, I need to get into an elite school. If you got accepted in a university, that's great, but it's opposite end of the country. And there's no relatives there. It's a liberal environment, naturally. No masjid. You cannot just close your eyes and jump and say, done. No, it's not worth it. And I'm telling you from so much experience of people who've done just that, because they got a free ride, because they got into an Ivy League school, they closed their eyes and went, and today they're sitting as atheists. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. If they die without iman, forever, forever, forever in hell. May Allah guide them. May Allah bring them back. And all these others who are, subhanAllah, losing the deen. Inshallah, any, I think we're good. 
so we had a good session hopefully it was beneficial I ask Allah to inspire all of you who raised your hands and those who are gonna go to actually bring some change at school but, you know, and I would love for Chicago University how many of you are in Chicago studying in Chicago raise your hand high a few of you okay yeah I would re- my goal my wish, vision is one of you or someone out there who's listening to me becomes like a liaison right a Darussalam liaison to all these MSAs in universities doesn't have to be MSAs, universities. And we actually come up with the full game plan. I, I've been telling you, I need someone to work. Right? Someone who's passionate. Maulana and I have talked about this for so long. We've got, but we need people. I can't do it. I'm an outsider. They're not going to even let me pass through the gate. Right? I don't have a key card to get in. I have one for Dar Salaam, alhamdulillah, but I don't have one for these places. Right? So I need you brothers out there to say, you know what, fine, we're ready to work. With high schools, we're ready to work. Like this Glenbard West, just down the street, it's a close, I just did, GPSed it, what, a month ago? I went there to speak. It's the closest school to my house, closest school to Dar Salaam, 2.2 miles. I've been in Lombard since 2008. This is the first time I spoke, it was three weeks ago. That's pretty messed up. Have I, I've, I've, I've asked for money, have I said I can't come, this, that? Never, no one has even asked. And that's the problem, like people are sleeping. And then of course when I came, they said, oh, we appreciated it. Yeah, but like, why so late? There's so many ulama, so many of our own students here who can come and do programs. And by that time, you know, by the time you graduate from 9th through 12th grade, we don't know how many have left Islam. So we need someone who is passionate about what I'm saying and says, okay, fine, we'll work with the schools. Another group can say, I can work with universities. And we're going to start building relationships once again. And I hope in this blessed night of the 27th night of Ramadan, Allah accepts this fikr of mine and dua that we really can bring the universities and are the faith and the nur and the barakah of this place it can go into all the neighborhood schools and inshallah in all to the major universities and the smaller ones too of the Chicagoland area and beyond the ball is in your court we're ready well, I'm ready to work for that but I need people in the universities as well as in the schools to say you know what I'm re- we're ready to partner up and work on this to make this inshallah a means of saving uh, our generations Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdi, inshallah, ilaha illa, astaghfirullah, wa tubi ilayk. We will inshallah do our Hizb al Adam right now, I guess so. Lafran, if we can set that up, or, or whoever's in the office, Yaqubay, inshallah. Uh, we can, in a couple of minutes, we'll turn on the projector, and then we're going to be going through the duas of the Prophet. Uh, every day we read one section from Al Hizb al Adam, Al Wurd al Afham. So, in a minute or two, we'll have the projector set up. You can follow along. These are prophetic duas. Blessed night, duas are accepted. Join that, say ameen to these du'as. These are du'as that usually most of us would never think of. These are du'as of Rasulullah So let's, let's participate in that. And then inshallah, suhoor will be at 3 o'clock. And then you still have a solid one hour approximately if you, if you eat quickly and don't. Laughing, joking, cracking jokes, discussion, let's do it after Fajr. At least you have very little time. Let's be super serious, super serious. Go downstairs, eat your bowl of cereal or your nihari or whatever they're serving downstairs. No waste time, come back up. Let's do our individual solid du'a, inshallah, ibadah. Uh, till, till Fajr time which starts around 4.30 inshallah so we'll do Hizbul Adham then Suhoor and then we'll all come back up inshallah Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa sallim I want you all to please concentrate on the English here because when, the, when we make dua in Arabic you know uh, there uh, in the dua say after Tarawih or what after Khatma Quran we can't understand the English right we don't know what's happening we say Ameen but we, we don't we're not really understanding what is being recited and then when we say it in English, well, that's our words. Can never match the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the comprehensive nature of the Prophet sallallahu du'as. So these are powerful du'as. Your amin should literally come out from your heart when you look at these the wordings. Just focus on the English, and 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 really, you know, 
this is not, we're not reading du'as. I'm not reading it. We're all actually asking Allah. Like we're, it's like how we just had a khatma Qur'an du'a, or we did have the 27 night du'a. Um, so this, we're still, it's the 27th night, and we're p- p- collectively making du'a together. So that's what we should uh, focus on that, inshallah. We'll do inshallah, before we, we start off our du'a, we'll do some dhikr again for a few minutes, and then we'll start off the du'a. Dhikr is the soul, uh, is the soul's food. You're nurturing the soul. So we need to, um, inshallah, make that niyyah that as we take Allah's name, all the darkness of sin is being removed from our heart. And the love of Allah is entering our heart. The love of the Prophet ﷺ is entering the heart. The honor of the deen is entering our heart. And the darkness of sin, the darkness of shayateen, this darkness of our nafs, is being pushed out. La ilaha is a sword. When you use la ilaha, la ilaha, you're breaking all the false idols, all the false shayateen, the false gods, the, the wrong type of lustful desires are in the heart. You, you, you remove them, you break them, you tear them apart. Illallah is when that's when you are filling the heart with the love of Allah and the love of whatever Allah wants us to love. And when we do recite Durush Sharif Salawat, we can imagine Rahmah of Allah is Allah is now sending His special mercy on me. Every time you and I say, we send salutations upon our Prophet Allah is sending now special mercy upon us. Allah is elevating our rank in Jannah. Allah is giving us rewards. Allah is removing our sins. Allah is going to remove our uh, depression, worry, anxiety. Allah is going to forgive our sins. There are countless blessings of sending salutations upon the Prophet wasallam. And then one of the dua is a dua of Yunus, that a person who recites Ayat Karim or La Ilaha Illa which we did today, that doing that, inshallah, Allah says, We saved Yunus salam from the layers of darkness, the darkness of the night, darkness of the sea, darkness of this huge whale. Allah SWT saved him from that. So we are all similarly in layers of darkness of sin, confusion. Uh, anxiety, problems of all sorts. We should have this faith that if we, we on this blessed night, 27th night of Ramadan, if we say, There's none worthy of worship besides you. Subhanak, glory be to you. Indeed, I am from amongst the sinful ones, oppressors. Then this will, inshallah, be a means of getting you and I also out from our problems. And then after that, we seek forgiveness from Allah. Istighfar, astaghfirullah. When you do, when, when you do istighfar, we should have remorse. Remorse. Remorse over our past sins. Like I said earlier too, when we do istighfar, we should specifically remember our major mistakes that we have done. Maybe only us and Allah knows. <clears throat> we should remember those and say, Ya Allah, I'm doing istighfar specifically for this, 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 this sin. And istighfar, in order for tawbah to be completed, it will only be completed when you have remorse. It will only be completed when you stop actually doing it. It will only be completed when you actually have a firm resolve not to go back to it again. And it will only be accepted when you have, if it's related to other people, you pay them back or you fulfill the rights. Uh, and you have to have a game plan. If a person, whatever, whatever sin they're involved in, say they have a hard time waking up for salah, and they miss salah all the time. Well, we cannot just feel remorse about it. We cannot just make niyyah not to do in the future. We also have to start making a game plan of how I'm going to change. And I'm going to start waking up for salah or start coming to the masjid, etc. 
لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى 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 الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ظالمین لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين لا اله الا انت سبحانك اني كنت من الظالمين 
لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه so now we're moving on to the dua you can raise your hand if you like this is actual dua and focus and look at the screen and look at the english so you, you if that can help you focus inshallah or if you just want to look down and say ameen it's up to you but the words especially tuesday is one of my favorite days meaning in terms of the selections that are there for the tuesday it's amazing bismillah accept our duas bismillahirrahmanirrahim allahumma inni as'aluka khayral mas'alati wa khayral dua wa khayral najah wa khayral amal wa khayral thawab wa khayral hayat wa khayral mamat wa thabbitni wa thaqqil mawazini wa haqqiq imani وارفَع درجتي وتقبل صلاتي واغفر خطيئتي وأسألك الدرجات العلا من الجنة آمين اللهم إني أسألك فواتح الخير وخواتمه وجوامعه وكوامله وأوله وآخره وظاهره وباطنه والدرجات العلا من الجنة آمين اللهم نجني من النار وارزقني مغفرة بالليل والنهار والمنزل الصالح من الجنة آمين اللهم إني أسألك خلاصا من النار سالما وأن تدخلني الجنة آمنا اللهم إني أسألك خير ما آتي وخير ما أفعل وخير ما أعمل وخير ما بطن وخير ما ظهر والدرجات العلا من الجنة آمين اللهم إني أسألك أن ترفع ذكري وتضع وزري وتصلح أمري وتطهر قلبي وتحصن فرجي وتنور لي في قبري وتغفر لي ذنبي وأسألك الدرجات العلا من الجنة آمين اللهم إني أسألك أن تبارك لي في سمعي وفي بصري وفي روحي وفي خلقي وفي خلقي وفي أهلي وفي مالي وفي محياي وفي مماتي وفي عملي اللهم وتقبل حسناتي والدرجات العلا من الجنة آمين اللهم اجعل أوسع رزقك علي عند كبر سني وانقطاع عمري يا من لا تراه العيون ولا تخالطه الظنون ولا يصفه الواصفون ولا تغيره الحوادث ولا يغشى الدوائر يعلم مثاقيل الجبال ومكائل البحار وعدد قطر الأمطار وعدد ورق الأشجار وعدد ما أظلم عليه الليل وأشرق عليه النهار ولا تواري منه سماء سماء ولا أرض أرضا ولا بحر ما في قعره ولا جبل ما في وعره اجعل خير عمري آخرة وخير عملي خواتمة وخير أيامي يوم ألقاك فيه
يا ولي الاسلام واهله ثبتني به حتى القاك اللهم اني اسالك غنايا وغنى مولاي اللهم اغفر لي وارحمني وادخلني الجنه اللهم اجعلني صبورا واجعلني شكورا واجعلني في عيني صغيرا وفي اعين الناس كبيرا اللهم اني اسالك علما نافعا وعملا متقبلا ورزقا حلالا طيبا اللهم اني استغفرك لذنبي واستهديك لمراشد امري واستجيرك من شر نفسي واتوب اليك فتب علي ان ஜமீலாஹ் يا صاحب كل نجوى ويا منتهى كل شكوى يا كريم الصفح يا عظيم المن يا مبدئ النعم قبل استحقاقها يا ربنا ويا سيدنا ويا مولانا ويا غايه رغبتنا اسالك يا الله ان لا تشوي خلقي بالنار اللهم اني اسالك من فضلك ورحمتك فانه لا يملكها الا انت اللهم انت احسنت خلقي اللهم احسنت خلقي فحسن خلقي رب اغفر وارحم واهدني السبيل الاقوم اللهم رب النبي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اغفر لي ذنبي واذهب عني غيظ قلبي واجرني من مضلات الفتن ما احييتنا اللهم ارزقني طيبا واستعمل ரபிக்க <تصفيق> ரபிக்கினிக்க <تصفيق> وبارك لي فيما قدر لي حتى لا احب تعجيل ما اخرت ولا تاخير ما عجلت اللهم لا عيش الا عيش الاخره اللهم احيني مسكينا وامتني مسكينا واحشرني في زمره المساكين اللهم اجعلني من الذين اذا احسنوا استبشروا واذا اساءوا استغفروا اللهم اني اسالك رحمه من عندك تهدي بها قلبي وتجمع بها امري وتلم بها شعفي وتصلح بها ديني وتقضي بها ديني وتحفظ بها غائبي وترفع بها شاهدي وتبيض بها وجهي وتزكي بها عملي وتلهمني بها رشدي وترد بها الفتي وتعصي منيبها من كل سوء اللهم اعطني ايمانا لا يرتد ويقينا ليس بعده كفر 
ورحمه انال بها شرف كرامتك في الدنيا والاخره اللهم اني اسالك الفوز في القضاء ونزول الشهداء وعيش السعداء ومرافقه الانبياء والنصر على الاعداء انك سميع الدعاء اللهم اني انزل بك حاجتي وان قصر رايي وضعف عملي افتقرت الى رحمتك فاسالك يا قاضي الامور ويا شافي الصدور كما تجير بين البحور ان تجيرني من عذاب السعير ومن دعوه الثبور ومن فتنه القبور اللهم ما قصر عنه رايي اللهم ما قصر عنه رايي وضعف عنه عملي ولم تبلغه منيتي ومسالتي من خير وعدته احدا من خلقك او خير انت معطيه احدا من عبادك فاني ارغب اليك فيه واسالك برحمتك يا رب العالمين اللهم ذل حبل الشديد والامر الرشيد اسالك الامن يوم الوعيد والجنه يوم الخلود مع المقربين الشهود الركع السجود الموفين بالعهود انك رحيم ودود انك تفعل ما تريد اللهم اجعلنا هادين مهتدين غير ضالين ولا مضلين سلما لاوليائك حربا لاعدائك نحب بحبك من احبك ونعادي بعداوتك من خالفك من خلقك اللهم هذا الدعاء وعليك الاجابه وهذا الجهد وعليك التكلان اللهم اجعلني نورا في قلبي ونورا في قبري ونورا من بين يدي ونورا من خلفي ونورا عن يميني ونورا عن شمالي ونورا من فوقي ونورا من تحتي ونورا في سمعي ونورا في بصري ونورا في شعري ونورا في بشري ونورا في لحمي ونورا في دمي ونورا في مخي ونورا في عظامي اللهم اعظم لي نورا واعطني نورا واجعلني نورا وزدني نورا وزدني نورا وزدني نورا سبحان الذي تعطف به العز وقال به سبحان الذي لبس المجد وتكرم به سبحان الذي لا ينبغي التسبيح الا له سبحان من احصى كل شيء بعلمه سبحان ذي الفضل والطول سبحان ذي المن والنعم سبحان ذي المجد والكرم سبحان ذي الجلال والاكرام اللهم لا تكلني الى نفسي طرفه عين ولا تنزع مني صالح ما اعطيتني اللهم انك لست باله استحدثناه ولا برب يبيد ذكره ابتدعناه ولا عليك شركاء يقضون معك ولا كان لنا قبلك من اله نلجا اليه ونذرك ولا اعانك على خلقنا احد فنشركه فيك تباركت وتعاليت فنسالك لا اله الا الله انت اغفر لي اللهم فنسالك لا اله الا انت اغفر لي فنسالك لا اله الا انت اغفر لي اللهم انك تسمع كلامي سبحان الله one dua this is the dua that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Allahu akbar recited this as he is conquering mecca brothers read the translation how can not your heart burst this is our nabi reciting this dua look at the humility here as he is entering mecca as a conqueror 
اللهم إنك تسمع كلامي وترى مكاني وتعلم سري وعلانيتي لا يخفى عليك شيء من أمري وأنا البائس الفقير المستغيث المستجير الوجل المشفق المقر المعترف بذنبي أسألك مسألة المسكين وأبتهل إليك ابتهال المذنب الذليل وأدعوك دعاء الخائف الضرير دعاء من خضعت لك رقبته وفاضت لك عبرته وذل لك جسمه ورغم لك أنفه اللهم لا تجعلني بدعائك شقيا وكن بي رؤوفا رحيما يا خير المسؤولين ويا خير المعطين اللهم إليك أشكو ضعف قوتي وقلة حيلتي وهواني على الناس يا أرحم الراحمين إلى من تكلني إلى عدو يتجهمني أم إلى قريب ملكته أمري إن لم تكن ساخطا علي فلا أبالي غير أن عافيتك أوسع لي أعوذ بنور وجهك الكريم الذي أضاءت له السماوات وأشرقت له الظلمات وصلح عليه أمر الدنيا والآخرة أن تحل علي غضبك وتنزل علي سخطك ولك العتبى حتى ترضى ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بك That was a dua Rasul Salaam made where? Where? In Ta'if The most difficult day of Rasul Salaam's life اللهم واقية كواقية الوليد اللهم إنا نسألك قلوبا أواهة مخبتة منيبة في سبيلك اللهم إن يسألك إيمانا يباشر قلبي ويقينا صادقا حتى أعلم أنه لا يصيبني إلا ما كتبت لي ورضا من المعيشة بما قسمت لي اللهم لك الحمد كالذي نقول وخير مما نقول اللهم لك الحمد كالذي تقول وخير مما نقول اللهم لك صلاتي ونسكي ومحياي ومماتي وإليك مآبي ولك رب تراثي اللهم إني أعوذ بك من عذاب القبر ووسوسة الصدر وشتاتة الأمر اللهم إني أسألك من خير ما تجيء به الرياح وأعوذ بك من شر ما تجيء به الرياح اللهم اجعلني أعظم شكرك وأكثر ذكرك وأطبع نصيحتك وأحفظ وصيتك اللهم إن قلوبنا ونواصينا وجوارحنا بيدك لم تملكنا منها شيئا فإذا فعلت ذلك بنا فكن أنت ولينا واهدنا إلى سواء السبيل اللهم اجعل حبك أحب الأشياء إلي واجعل خشيتك أخوف الأشياء عندي واقطع عني حاجات الدنيا بالشوق إلى لقائك وإذا أقررت أعين أهل الدنيا من دنياهم فأقرر عيني من عبادتك اللهم إني أعوذ بك من شر الأعميين السيل والبعير الصؤول اللهم إني أسألك الصحة والعفة والأمانة وحسن الخلق والرضا بالقدر اللهم لك الحمد شكرا ولك المن فضلا 
اللهم إني أسألك التوفيق لمحابك من الأعمال وصدق التوكل عليك وحسن الظن بك اللهم افتح مسامع قلبي لذكرك اللهم افتح مسامع قلبي لذكرك وارزقني طاعتك وطاعة رسولك وعملا بكتابك اللهم اجعلني أخشاك كأني أراك أبدا حتى ألقاك وأسعدني بتقواك ولا تشقني بمعصيتك ولا تشقني اشقني بمعصيتك وخر لي في قضائك وبارك لي في قدرك حتى لا أحب تعجيل ما أخرت ولا تأخير ما عجلت واجعل غناي في نفسي اللهم الطف بي في تيسير كل عسير فإن تيسير كل عسير عليك يسير وأسألك اليسر والمعافاة في الدنيا والآخرة and this is the dua Rasulullah taught us to recite most on the night of Qadr اللهم اعف عني فإنك عفو كريم اللهم اعف عني فإنك عفو كريم اللهم اعف عني فإنك عفو كريم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقي محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والحمد لله رب العالمين Shall brothers can proceed downstairs for suhoor Let's try our best to keep the environment as quiet and calm as possible. Let's not ruin the spirituality that we gained by excessive laughing and talking. Jazakumullah khairah for being considerate of one another.